Uh, let me go ahead and pray, and let's start uh, this discussion. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, your mercies are new every morning, and we're thankful that we're here with our brothers and sisters, and um, looking forward to hearing from you, looking forward to um, uh, praising you, um, and being invited into your house, and uh, thank you for this hour to be able to devote ourselves to your word, to your truth, and keep the Sabbath day holy and consecrated to you. So bless us and be with us and uh, grant us uh, your wisdom and your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're walking through various topics in apologetics, and um, and again, we're using Tim Keller's Reason for God as like the main uh, reference uh, in, in, in a lot of these topics, and the particular topic we're addressing today is addressed in um, chapter 4 of his book, Reason for God, if you're interested. So there are, I think, um, two big questions I think I want to touch upon, and then and then see how you guys all interact with that as well. And, and those two questions are, one, um, why do I see so many morally flawed Christians? And two... Why has a church um, taken part in so many injustices in the past? Okay. So one is more in the present local context, and the other is in the more past historical context. Right. But that kind of the the gist of it is uh, why are Christians such hypocrites? Right. So uh, regarding the first one, and why do I see so many morally flawed Christians? I think um, there's this very well-known quote from Gandhi. Uh, I don't know if you, you've probably heard it, right? Um, I like your Christ, but not your Christians. Right. Have you heard that quote before? Um, and and that's pretty much how a lot of people would, you know, raise their um, concern uh, when it comes to Christians and their so-called you know, hypocritical behavior. Um, I think the first thing that we can understand um, when it comes to Christians and and behavior, okay, um, is this idea of common grace. So in James chapter one verse seventeen, it says this: "Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change." Okay. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. Okay, so if you, if you identify anything good, right, that's from above. And so what that means is every human act of good or justice or uh, wisdom or beauty, uh, that's attributed to God, not to <laughs> mankind. Right. Um, so that's the idea of common grace that God extends to every human being in the world. Uh, and although the world is fallen, there's still goodness in the world. Why? Because God's goodness is seen. And that's consistent with the biblical doctrine of sin that says sin has robbed humanity of the ability to choose good and merit their own salvation. On their own, mankind cannot do any good. Right? That's the biblical doctrine of sin. So God had to provide another way for our salvation, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ which is also from above, and another good and perfect gift that's from above. So 
So, he, so what does that mean? So this idea that Christians have to clean up their act and, and sort of merit God's favor to, to deserve being called a Christian is not the gospel. Right? This idea that you have to get your act together, put your ducks in a row, and now you deserve to be called a Christian and not be a hypocrite when you call yourself a Christian. That's a false gospel. The true gospel... The good news is that although we are sinners, incapable of doing any good on our own, God made a way for us not only to be forgiven, but live life with a new heart. Live life with a new heart. Uh, and once he gives us that new heart, we, we now live a sort of a life of uh, restoration and redemption. It's a process, process of growth. And that means, what is the church, right? Who comes to church? Who identifies as members of the church? People in recovery, right? People who are born again as spiritual infants who now have to be born, uh, grow into uh, the image of God. It's a hospital, right? Church is a hospital. It's not a museum of people who are complete. It's a hospital full of broken people. And so when people tend to say, you know, I don't want to go to church because church, churches are full of hypocrites, what they assume underneath that is churches should be more like museums where you have these sort of beautiful, final, complete, precious pro, you know, artworks uh, that do not need any more work, do not need any you know, restoration, but it's perfect the way it is. Like we should just be beholding Mona Lisa's when we go to church. No, church is a hospital full of sick people in recovery. So when we look at it that way, it makes a lot more sense. So the assumption about Christian people need to be uh, adjusted to reflect this true gospel a lot of times. So when, when somebody says, you know, why are so many Christians hypocrites, that's actually a good opportunity to explain what the gospel actually means and not, not what the other thing is. We're not healthy, we're people in recovery, we're people in need of grace. And that should make Christians uh, humble. And that should make Christians contrite and not prideful or, or arrogant. Now, let's say somebody still identifies, right, like Christians that are self-righteous or uh, very intolerant, behaving in very prideful ways, uh, sound very arrogant, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we should point out in those cases that the reason behind that is not there's too much Christian religion there, but too little. All right? um, it's not that they're too committed to the true gospel. They're not committed to the true gospel enough. So even Gandhi himself, like in that quote, what he says is, your Christians are so unlike your Christ, meaning what you need is more Christ, not less. Right? So even, even in that logic, right, uh, what we shouldn't say is, well, therefore, I don't need Christ, I don't need the church. No, you need more Christ, more of the church. Okay? So, again, with that first question, you know, why are there so many morally flawed people in the church? What an opportunity to, to share the gospel. I would say, yeah, you're exactly right, and... That's why church is a place where we confess our sins week in and week out. Church is a place where we hear the gospel that invites us to repent again. 
trusting God's grace alone for our salvation. You're absolutely right. And I'm a hypocrite, and that's why I'm in church. I'm in recovery. It's a great opportunity to share the gospel. Um, Any questions on that first question, on that first um, objection? I don't know. One of my thoughts was that it it could just be used as an excuse. Like, maybe they just don't want to come to church, and they just want to, you know, give you an excuse that's difficult for you to... Right, right, yeah. Um, because it seems like there's this other underlying like mm-hmm. expectation that people that like it is based off of that underlying expectation that Christians are good, yeah. right? And like, so it's like, well, people aren't, so like, I don't yeah. want to go, but it's really they just don't yeah. want to come or something, right? Yeah, that's a good point because it is interesting if you think about it. Um, when somebody says, I- "I'm not interested in Christianity because Christians are hypocrites." That means they, they perceive Christianity. I mean, are you saying Christianity is about submitting your life, giving your life to Christians? It's not, right? Christianity is about submitting to Christ as Lord. And the thing is, when you think about Christ, he spoke out against hypocrisy or the hypocrisy of the Pharisees more than anyone else. So he's just as bothered by hypocrisy as you are, if not more. So what's keeping you from submitting to Christ? You're in the same page with Christ. What's keeping you from submitting to Him? Right? What's keeping you from worshiping Him or investigating Him even? So yeah, um, this idea that I'm not interested in Christ because Christians are hypocrites, it does seem like an excuse. It's like a, it's like a cop-out um, answer to why are you not looking into Christ? And we're not asking you to look into Christians. But Christ, and Christ, he, yeah, he hated hypocrisy. He hates hypocrisy more than anyone else. So um, there might be some other reason that they're not, they're really not coming to church, right? That that's just an easy way out of. Well, I guess that was the second thing that I wrote. Yeah. Not to like try to take over, but like, it seems like a lot of times when they do bring up the hypocrisy thing it's because they've had personal experience in church Yeah, yeah. and it's like a more personal thing not so much a and maybe they generalize it but yeah so it's like there may be some other you know hurt or something that they're not able to get over or something like that right right yeah Uh, and that's something really worth listening to like their experience of hurt their experience of pain in the past and really believe their experience and affirm what they had gone through. Um, and then share yours. And it, this is why it's so important that, that we have testimonies about how we experience grace at church. Um, and this challenges us to not come to church with like a uh, Instagram filter on it. Right? It challenges us to come to church as broken people interact with bro- interacting with broken people, meaning you need to have stories of how, yeah, I've been hurt by my brother or sister in Christ, and, and I've heard their confession, and I've had to practice forgiveness, and vice versa. I've hurt others, and I've had to confess my sins to them, and they've had to show grace to me. That's the life of the church, right? If you don't have that testimony, then you are, in a sense, playing along with this logic, this rhetoric, that church should be a, more like a museum where you don't offend anyone or offended by anyone, right? 
Um, so it's important that you can share that testimony, I think, with someone in that, in that, in that instance. Great. Any other thoughts on that? Questions on that? Okay, so I want to move on to the second question that it's more of the, the historical objection. You know, aren't Christians responsible for all these injustices in the past, right, in history? Um, so the first thing I think we can make a note about that is this. The Bible teaches us when it comes to violence, when it comes to injustices, right, uh, unjust wars, these are human tendencies that are rooted in human sinfulness, not in human uh, religious instincts. So it's not something that's limited to religious people. It's something that we find in all humanity. Um, it's true, though, right? And this is where we have to confess our, our sins in terms of, like, the church's sins. Uh, there were Christian nations, and this is why Christian nations is not, not a good idea anymore, because God is no longer king. Christian nations had institutionalized things like imperialism, right? Uh, things like violent, violent colonialism, right? And injustices through, like, inquisition, even slave trade, um, it's also true in the Eastern world, like things like you know Shintoism, Buddhism played a role in Japanese imperialism, Japanese colonialism. Um, the current sort of Palestinian-Israeli conflict is deeply religious, right? Um, so is you know, Islamic terrorism. The problem is that this, you know, just calling this a religious problem doesn't explain all of the violence we see around the world, especially the most violent century in the history of the world, and that is the 20th century. 20th century is the most violent century in the entire course of history, where uh, through communist Russia, China, Cambodia, or the Nazis, uh, 20th century alone is responsible for the highest number of deaths. Um, and, and these were all regimes that rejected organized religion on a systematic level, on an institutional level. And, um, so even so, even with that, even with the intention of pushing out any religious instinct, right? They were, that century alone is responsible for uh, more than 100 million deaths. Uh, the Inquisition, by the way, compared to the, the deaths ca caused by the Inquisition is about 1% of that. Um, so here's something that Dr. Edward Peters at UPenn said about the Inquisition. And this is not, he's, I mean, this is not some Christian source. This is published by Berkeley Press. Not at all a religious source. <laughs> Uh, he says, the best estimate is that around 3,000 death sentences were carried out in Spain by inquisitional verdict, a far smaller number than that in comparable secular courts. So um, it's important that you don't let people throw the inquisition around like it was the largest sort of mass institutional uh, execution in history or something like that. Uh, it pales, pales in comparison to the atheistic regimes in the 20th century. So there is a tendency for people to caricature. And you know, you know the thing about caricatures is you know, if you look at a caricature of Donald Trump, for example, like his head's disproportionately large, right? Um, or his body size, or something like that, right? That's the point of caricatures. It's disproportionate. So when people throw around caricatures of Christian injustices, you, you should point out that's kind of disproportionate. 
right? That's less than 1% of the deaths caused by atheistic regimes in the 20th century. Not that these numbers count, but I mean, if they're throwing numbers at you, it's good to get the facts straight, right? Uh, and so what historians like Alison McGrath have also pointed out is that there is a tendency among these, uh, even, even in these atheistic regimes in the 20th century, to, to transcendentalize, meaning like elevate above things that are not immediately religious, things like the state or one's race and blood. Okay. So um, the problem is really not religion per se. Um, but this, this transcendent, transcendentalizing, this, this elevating uh, beyond its, its, its uh, rightful place, something that you really want to champion. And that's something that human beings all do, right? Even with innocent things, like we transcendentalize athletes, <laughs> like um, King James, right? Um, or, or the king of pop, the king of rock. I mean, we transcendentalize things all the time. At, at, a, at a more innocent level, it sounds like that, but then at a more violent level, uh, it can look very ugly. So again, it's not just a religious tendency, it's a human tendency. Okay. Now, um, that leads us to raise the question, right? what will change this human tendency? <laughs> what, what is the answer to, to this violent heart of ours right? that's in all of mankind? Uh, and to fix that without war, violence, but with love, with kindness, with sacrifice. And, and Christians find that answer in Christ, right, at the cross. Um, so it is when people embrace the cross most fully, um, that's when they are able to stand up against injustices when it's even very unpopular to do so. You know, and we have examples of Christian people like that in the past, like Wilberforce standing up, uh, to slavery when it was very unpopular to do so. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, confronting racism and segregation when it's unpopular to do so. Dietrich Bonhoeffer standing up against the Nazis and being hung to death and you know being executed. It, it was just not popular. It wasn't trendy. It wasn't fashionable um, to, to stand up to these injustices. But for these people, um, and it's so blatant and explicitly uh, drawn from their faith, their Christian faith, how they were able to stand up to these injustices. And so it's when they embrace the full truth of Christianity for what it is. That's what enabled them to be, you know, these moral beacons, you know, of the world. So, uh, so again, uh, how do we confront injustice even in religion? Not less Christianity, we need more. Right? Not less gospel, more gospel. Not less Christ, more Christ. The problem with injustices in, in Christianity is not that they were too Christian. It's that they were too unchristian. It's not that they had too much Christ. They had too little Christ. Right? It's not that they were too fundamentalistic. They were not fundamentalistic enough. Okay? That's the real problem. So to close, to close off this section, right? the Bible itself, it's, it's worth pointing out, the Bible itself is filled with criticism about self-righteous religion. Okay. Um, and, and again, none greater critic than Jesus himself. So here's how Tim Keller put it. In Jesus' and prophets' critique, self-righteous um, 
religion is always marked by insensitivity to issues of social justice, while true faith is marked by profound concern for the poor and marginalized. Calvin, in his commentary, says that God is so identified with the poor that their cries express divine pain. The Bible teaches us that our treatment of them equals our treatment of God. Okay. So again, uh, the, the Bible itself gives us the best tool with which to critique practices that are uh, unjust, practices that are contrary to biblical ethics. If you throw out the Bible uh, because you see people not practicing the Bible, what you, what you do is you throw the baby out with the bathwater. You throw out the reason why we should care for the poor and marginalized. Right? Because in a Darwinian jungle, um, it's about survival of the fittest. Right? It's actually Christian ethics that has introduced to us this virtue uh, of loving the poor and including the, the, the marginalized, serving the weak, you know. Uh, but if you, if you throw that out, right, uh, then we, we're actually worse off than we were before. So, so it's important we realize that, you know, it's from the Bible that we get this idea that being self-righteous and prideful and arrogant and hypocritical is a bad idea to begin with. That's from the Bible. That's a biblical idea. Um, there's, a, there's a story about a professor asking his students to imagine, you know, there's an old lady walking down the street at night uh, with a big purse. And, you know, and the professor asks, why not knock her over and take her purse and steal her money? And the students answered, uh, and I'm summarizing, because that makes you a very despicable person. That makes me not respect myself. Okay? And, and what the professor points out, from, points out from there is, see, that standard of ethics right there, that's a very self-righteous ethic. It's a very prideful ethic. You're saying, I'm that good, right? I shouldn't stoop that low. It's a self-righteous ethic. It's still selfish in the end why you don't knock her down and steal her purse. It's for a selfish reason, right? Even though on the, on the surface it looks like a kind act uh, or a nice act to not, not attack someone. And maybe even you help her across the street, right? That's a nice thing. But deep down, it's a selfish motive. That's a self-righteous ethic. Um, but this is what a selfless ethic would look like. Uh, a selfless ethic would say, if I harm her, she wouldn't be able to use that money for something she needs if I steal from her. And she wouldn't be able to provide for the people that are dependent on her. Um, that would be a selfless standard of ethic. And so what the professor was trying to point out is that it's only since Christianity had begun to influence Western civilization that selfless ethics started to kick in. Whereas prior to that, uh, the standard of ethic was still self, selfish and self-righteous. It was about honor. It was about self-respect. After Christianity had influenced uh, the Western civilization, it's become other-regarding right? um, and, and selfless in, in, in one's practices um, of what's good and what's moral. So again, this idea of being, you know, being self-righteous is wrong, being selfish is wrong, or being hypocritical is wrong. That itself is a Christian idea. Uh, so when someone criticizes Christians for being self-righteous, you have to understand they're borrowing from a Christian ethic to critique Christians. Okay. It's a valid critique. It, 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 you just can't therefore throw out Christianity because you're, you know, that's like trying to drive, 
drive a Christian car and drive it into a tree and, and, and destroy it, you know. Um, or uh, one, I think one one example will be like, you know, the, the, only, the only way my child can like slap me in the face is if, I, if I'm holding the child up to my face, right? So, so the only way you can critique Christians about hypocrisy is if Christianity is holding them up and giving them that standard of ethics to say hypocrisy is wrong. Does that make sense? So there's a lot of irony uh, to this. I think the frustration yeah. when dealing with some of these people, or most, most of these people who use this thought process is that you can't reason with them because like, even if you bring that up, they're just going to be like, I don't care. Because like, if they really went with their whole like, Darwinian like, worldview, then right. I'll just be like, you're just being weaker by like, spending your time trying to help people or whatever. Right. You should be stepping on people right. like, and you should be like, using people. Like, yeah. You're just weak. Yeah. And you should be, you know, like, right. the next one that's out. Yeah. I, I just, I, but then they'd be, they'd be like, well, that just sounds terrible. You're just yeah. a horrible human being. Well, you can't make that judgment because based yeah. on your worldview, yeah. I'm, I'm the more superior right. one for doing right. that. Yeah. And yeah. Why are you imposing your worldview on, yeah. on me? So, right. like, I think that's the thing that always gets me so mad because yeah. I'm just like, I don't even want to talk to you because, yeah. like. Yeah. And no, I understand that. And, and I think that's why I take a lot of comfort in what Peter says. And this is how we started the series off with. What he says is, um, be, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have and do it so with gentleness and respect. And that's all you have to do. Right? So we're, we're not um, asked to do anything beyond that. So what we need to be equipped with is the reason, the answer. Give the answer for the hope that you have. Give a reasonable answer. You know? um, but if, if that's... If that's uh, something that they don't appreciate, if that's something that they even retaliate against with um, a lot of negativity and whatnot, I mean, that's a, at that point, I think you have some basis to say, I need to just walk away from this. It's not worth my time. Um, Jesus had you know, told his disciples at times to you know, just you know, dust off your sandals and move on to the next town. Um, or don't throw pearls. At pigs, you know. Um, so, so um, you got to invest wi- your time wisely. Um, you gotta, you gotta not be constantly engaging uh, in something that's completely fruitless. And um, um, yeah, just ask God for wisdom in that, you know, um, and and gauge gauge you know whether you're investing wisely in these dialogues in these conversations and relationships um, and that way you don't get too personally affected by it as well because sometimes I think it's easy to get sucked into that kind of rhetoric or negativity and re- sort of you know eye for eye tooth for tooth to- type of thing so you oh you you verbally attack me I'm gonna verbally attack you kind of thing but um, uh, our response should be more Christ-like and in that sense, turning the other cheek, but then doesn't mean you should just remain there and just keep getting slapped. You know, walk away, <laughs> move on. Okay. Um, so at the end of the day, should this thing about Christian injustice or Christian hypocrisy, should these things be reasons for our friends to not visit our church, to not investigate uh, Christianity? No. Right. Like we were saying earlier. Jesus is just as turned off by religious hypocrites as, as anyone. So what's, what's your real reason? What's your real excuse uh, for not 
surrendering to him or not even investigating him. There's something else going on. Okay. Um, and and another, another point of reminder would be um, that your modeling what church membership uh, looks like and what it means uh, is very important. Um, here's how um, Pastor Scott Sauce put it. Membership in a local church means joining your imperfect self to many other imperfect selves to form an imperfect community that through Jesus embarks on a journey toward a better future together. Okay. Is this your membership? Is this your experience at church? Are you experiencing imperfect relationships? Are you experiencing correction? Are you experiencing confession? Are you experiencing discipline? Uh, even rebuke? Are you growing and maturing? Or are you just trying to be comfortable? Then you're just like the person who's saying, I don't want to go to church because they're full of hypocrites. Because essentially what they're saying is, I don't want to be uncomfortable. Right? But, but you have to communicate, that's not what church membership is about. It's not about me protecting my comfort zone. It's about me being stretched and corrected and aligned to, to the perfect God. Although I am currently imperfect. Okay? All right. Uh, remaining questions uh, that we haven't addressed that you had written down. Let's talk about some of those before, before we close. I have a historical yeah. question. Yeah. So, <clears throat> we're during the, uh, I forgot what it's called, um, when the Christians from Europe were trying to take back Jerusalem. What was Crusades. that? Crusades. The Crusades. The Crusades, yeah. Right. Um, were they not justified through Christianity? Take back, you know, what they believed was the, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think um, short answer to that is Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world, my servants would fight um, and, and not hand me over to the Gentiles or, or you know, to be crucified, right? Um, meaning the way Jesus won, his kingdom is his eternal kingdom, not this earthly one. Two, the way he actualizes that kingdom is not through warfare. Uh, it's through the gospel. It's through heart conversion. Right? Whereas with war and with violence, you only convert people to behaving a certain way. Uh, but God's conversion is all about the heart change. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, in, in so many ways, the Crusades were anti-gospel, antithetical to the gospel. Um, but it, I wouldn't go as far as to say none of them were Christians. I think they were misled. You know, I think they were misguided. And, and because you're dealing with a Christian nation, which, again, I think apart from God being king, that's a bad idea. Uh, when you have a Christian nation, of course you're going to have bad kings commanding bad things for people to do. Like, and the Bible's full of examples of bad kings. You know, bad kings of Israel doing bad things, <laughs> commanding Israel to commit bad things. That's it's just it's almost like just a continuation of that. Um, and that's why Jesus sends. I mean, God sends Jesus to be our true king, who who stoops to conquer with his humility, with his own sacrifice. So, uh, yeah, to the extent that we are identified with, with the, the universal body of Christ, we're partly responsible, and we should, we should uh, uh, confess even the current injustices committed by, by Christians today. We should uh, ask God to forgive and, 
and ask him for reform. Um, at the same time, um, that's no reason to discount Christ. So, okay, I agree that Christians are messed up. What do you say about Jesus, though? That would be my question. And then actually get to the, the meat of it, which is the gospel. Good question. So let me uh, then close with this quote from um, Henry Nouwen, uh, great, great author, um, and just a very excellent, I think, summary of this topic. Um, let me just read the quote for you. Can we only speak when we are fully living what we are saying? If all our words had to cover all our actions, we will be doomed to permanent silence. Sometimes we are called to proclaim God's love even when we are not yet fully able to live it. Does that mean we are hypocrites? Only when our words no longer cause to conversion. Nobody completely lives up to his or her own ideals and visions. But by proclaiming our ideals and visions with great conviction and great humility, we may gradually grow into the truth we speak. As long as we know that our lives always speak louder than our words, we can trust that our words will remain humble. Um, I hope that um, from, for us, you know, for Christians, this idea of um, hypocrisy, um, it doesn't weigh upon your heart to the point of not being a witness to the world and not speaking the truth. <coughs> Uh, and that's, that's, I think, the, the existential struggle that Christians have. Not, not this intellectual struggle that we just talked about, but the in, in existential one where you feel like a hypocrite and you feel like you're not deserving of, you know, sharing the gospel to others, witnessing to others. But what he's saying is, no, what makes you a hypocrite is if what you're preaching ceases to convert you. But if what you're preaching is continuing to convict your heart and bring you to repentance, then proclaim the truth. Don't shy away from proclaiming the truth as long as it's humbling you and convicting you. Because nobody, nobody fully lives out what their ideals are. Nobody. Um, and, And that shouldn't be reason to be silenced. Speak the truth in love and, and be humbled by the truth that you speak. Okay? All right. Okay, let me close us in prayer. Uh, Father God, um, thank you for your kindness, mercy, and grace toward us. Um, although we are imperfect representations of your glory, uh, yet you choose to place your treasure in jars of clay. Uh, And God, help us not to shy away from just being a witness to that treasure, being a witness to the gospel. Uh, We do ask that you forgive us uh, for the ways that our lives, our words, our our thoughts, and our deeds don't align with your truth entirely. Uh, Yet at the same time, God, we are convicted. We're humbled. uh, And and we ask, God, that you would help us uh, to, to continue down this path of recovery, a path of restoration um, so that we would approach uh, you with humility and approach others with humility and 
and show that it, the gospel really means not that we are good and we are great, but that you are good and, and you are great. Jesus. Uh, so help us to point um, the glory, point uh, the, the power um, and the kingdom to you and um, help us guide in our evangelism and our witnessing to the world. Use us as your instruments. Mm. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's go and get ready for worship.